0: Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the Preaching Ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. As you find your seat, just tell someone beside you, I'm glad you're here today. Find two or three people right beside you and just say, I'm glad you're here today. I'm so glad that each of you are here this morning. It's so good to be in the house of God. Man, you guys are a friendly, happy group today. You guys sang like you meant it today. That was good singing. You're singing well, and we were listening well, and man, you're greeting each other well. Now it's up to me to preach well. We'll see how that goes, right? If you got your Bibles, open them up to Psalm chapter 63. We've been going through a study over this summertime, and the study has been going through the songs of summer. And of course, when we open up the book of Psalms, maybe the center part of your Bible, we're looking at a song book that was compiled over generations and given to us, preserved over thousands of years. They are literally the songs of God's people. These were the songs that God's people would sing in times of celebration. In times of mourning, times of reflection, times of uh, remembrance, they were national anthems. Some of them were songs that they would sing as a country or as a time to demonstrate a defeat over a foe that had been vanquishing them for a long time. So Psalm chapter 63 is our study today, and we're going to look at verse number one. When I was a child, we were not allowed to use the term, oh my and then use the Lord's name. There's a scripture that says that we're not to take the name of the Lord in vain, and so in reference to that, my parents said that's something we don't do, and so we never did that. It was a a sacred thing to use the title of God, to use the name of God, Jesus Christ. That's something you don't do unless you're doing it in reverence or in retrospect to who our Savior is. So it's a very startling verse. In verse number one, when Psalm 63 opens up with this phrase, oh God. He uses that very emphatically. In fact, in my Bible, all of those two words are capitalized. Oh God. And the word God there is a demonstration of the powerful, strong God, the mighty God who spoke the world into existence when he said, let there be light the creator god of the universe of course god didn't allow this place to evolve through billions and millions of years there is a god in heaven with a purpose and design and he made all that is and so the god of the universe cried out in the nothingness of eternity past and said let there be light and time began and the world as we know it started at the very voice of god that's who David, the psalmist, is calling upon. Oh, God! And then he says, thou art my God. He uses the same word, but he uses a different nuance of it. He says, the same God who spoke the world into existence, I need your strength individually. We're going to see why David is calling upon that strength at this time as we look at Psalm 63. Father, I pray you'd be with us this morning. Allow this time to encourage us and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you read it for a moment, by the time where it says Psalm 63 in your Bible, and between the first verse, where it says Psalm 63 and verse 1, in many of your Bibles, you will see this, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. The time of the writing of this psalm comes at a very difficult time. In fact, I would say it's one of the lowest points in David's life. David had many strong and victorious days, but I believe the day the writing of Psalm 63 is perhaps uh, the worst, if not the, uh, one of the worst, if not the worst day of David's life. How did we get to this point? Well. As we remembered last week in Psalm 51, David had been a mighty king, a victorious king, a powerful king. This amazing, mighty mighty king that had seen great victories with his life had allowed himself to fall into the trap of sin. The Bible tells us that he saw another man's wife, he spied upon her, and, and he called for her, he has an illicit relationship with him. And what's so interesting about this is the hero of Israel, the one whom a song was sung about, Saul has slain his thousands, Saul has slain his thousands, this great hero of Israel, this great hero of the Bible, this great hero of history, is now the villain of the story. I believe that there's something inside of a man's heart that desires to be a hero, John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, said this about men, that all men desire three things. He said, all men desire an adventure to live. I'm doing something with my life. I, they want a kingdom to save. They want to do something to where, you know, I'm, I'm living this life with an adventure because we're trying to do this, and then they want a beauty to serve. And I thought, oh, that's really good when he said that, because I believe inside of every man's heart, there's a desire to be that knight. In sh- uh, shining armor to be the man's man to be the adventurer to be the conqueror And I think that's a god-given desire I believe that god put inside of a man the desire to be the protector to be the nurturer to be the person who can solve Problems men like to solve problems. Don't we we're because we're men a couple of weeks ago I was with a group of teenage guys There was about a hundred guys and when I walked in there They're all kind of just doing their things and I said What are we in this room? And they just kind of looked at me. I said, We're men. And so the next day, when I walked in there and I said, What are we? That group of 100 guys said, Men. And then Wednesday, I went in there again and I said, What are we? And the thir- on Wednesday, they got it by this time. All 100 of those teenage guys said, Men. And on Thursday, there was just a chorus, sounded like gladiators from arena. We are men. Because it doesn't matter if it's an eight-year-old boy or if it's a 70-year-old man. There's a desire to be that conqueror hero, that knight in shining armor. And David had fulfilled that role amazingly. He had been the man's man, the hero of heroes. But as is so often true in our life, it's not the thing out there that messes us up. It's the person we live with that messes us up the most, isn't it? And David has gone through an incredible defeat, not at the hands of a giant, but at his own working. Because of his sin, he goes to God, and he says, God, please forgive me. And isn't it wonderful that God gives him 100% forgiveness? God doesn't say, you go in timeout, come back when you really mean it. He says, no, you're forgiven. But even though he understands the forgiveness of God and God's grace and mercy has flowed, uh, flowed all over his life, there are still consequences for his sin. In the same manner that a person who gets in a drunken stupor might uh, uh, get into a wreck and now they have to deal with the legal repercussions or maybe a physical impairment because of the, the sin that they involve themselves in, right? Just because they're forgiven by God doesn't mean that they don't deal with the repercussions of their sin, David is now dealing with that as well. The nation is broken. The nation is hurting. And the once mighty banner of David has become tarnished because of his sin. And the sin in his life has not only produced uh, problems uh, nationally, but the problems are coming from within his own house. When you read after David's sin there becomes a whole lot of issues that come out of the palace. Inside of David's palace, there has been rape. Inside of David's palace, there has been murder. There is no forgiveness. There's just bitterness that is stewing in a pot, a raging pot of sin in David's house. There's rebellion. There's talks of sedition. And in perhaps... One of the worst days of David's life where we're reading in Psalm 63, David's closest advisor, his trusted friend, a man named Ahithophel, who was Bathsheba's grandfather, has conspired together with his son to overthrow David as the king. David hears of the conspiracy takes a few of his family members and a few of his trusted advisors, and on the writing of Psalm chapter 63, David is fleeing Jerusalem, not as the great king, but as the disgraced one who had participated in an affair. His closest advisor, Ahithophel, and his son have, relegated, have brought together a coup and an insurrection has thrown David out of being the king of Israel, and now he's running as an enemy in the wilderness again, just like he had some 30 years previously. And that's where the writing of Psalm chapter 63 is. We see the trouble with sin because David comes to God and he says in verse number one, Oh God. As we work through this Psalm, we have to be confronted with the first problem. And the first problem is this that there is great trouble with sin. There's always consequences to sin. It doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what there's always consequences to sin. Notice what the Bible says about sin. The Bible says this in Psalm uh, Romans chapter six and verse sixteen Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? Oh, well, I'm going to obey sin. Oh, then guess what? You just became a servant of sin. I'm going to do what is wrong. I'm going to steal. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to lie. I'm going to gossip. When you yield yourself as a servant of sin, the Bible says his servants, ye are to whom you obey. When you yield yourself, whether of sin unto the Bible says death, the wages of sin is always death. 100% of the time when sin is present, it causes destruction Sin present in a relationship causes death. Sin present in a business causes death. Sin present in your finances causes death. Whenever a person sins, there is always going to be death because of sin. The wages of sin is death. So notice what the Bible says. Know ye not but to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of to sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. The consequences of sin are great. Why do we get together in church? Because we get together in church because we're all sinners. We all have a proclivity to sin. If you sin this week, say yes. Not loud, but whisper it. If you sin this week, say yes. Okay, good, you've whispered. Because don't want the person beside you to know because they go to church. But you sin. <laughs> we all sin this week. And since we sin, there's an important understanding. There's death to that sin. There's nothing good about that sin. It's not like, well, it was a little baby sin. It's a sin. Sin is always sin. And this is what's fascinating. The Bible tells us that sin cannot be contained in and of ourselves. It's like trying to put toothpaste back in a tooth, uh, uh, toothpaste tube. Once it comes out, it's out. It's you just can't get it back. You ever try to do that? Oh oh, There's nothing you can do Because sin has consequences and sin cannot be contained Physically, it's like well i'm gonna do this and I expect because I did this i'm gonna i'm gonna get in trouble And then these will be the consequences i'll deal with this. It's not sin isn't like a speeding ticket Some of you speed Let me say it this way. Some of us speed and when, you, and when we speed, we speed and we're like, you know, if I get caught, I'm willing to pay the fine. Like, okay, but it's, it's worth it to go over the speed limit so that I can get there faster. And if, I, if I get caught, I get caught, okay? When we sin, there are no set consequences to or containment to our sin because it's like squeezing it out, and it just goes, and it's like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen, and I didn't expect that to happen, and I didn't expect that to happen. So when David sins with Bathsheba, David sinned with Bathsheba, may have thought, well, maybe we got in trouble, but he's not expecting for rape, murder, um, incest. He's not expecting for um, rebellion and an insurrection inside of his own house. I'll just sleep with Bathsheba. That'll be a fun night. It'll be no big deal. He has no clue the harvest of pain that he is sowing. And so the Bible tells us this. Every man, this is so important, every man is tempted. No person is immune to temptation. Doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years, if you just got saved two weeks ago, every single one of us are going to face temptation. No man, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lusts, of his own lust and enticed. Now, this is, this is fascinating, because sometimes in life, we can look at somebody dealing with their sin, and we can say this, oh, look at the sin they're doing. I would never. Okay, you might not do their sin, but you got your own problem, don't you? For instance, I grew up in the city of Las Vegas, and as I grew up here, gambling was a part of everything we do, okay? Okay. I remember going to the Kmart. There was a Kmart on Spring Mountain Road in Rainbow. We would go to that Kmart, and my mom would be shopping around for hours, and my brother and I, we would sit around by the slot machines, and when people would drop change, we'd... scurry that up like pigeons. (laughs) So it was just like gambling was a part of our life. Not that we participated in gambling, but we would go in, we'd see a Chevron, or you'd go to a gas station, you'd go to a Smith's. There's slot machines every place you go in this city. So gambling, to me, though I, uh, I... I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's a vice. I think it's hurt many people. But gambling has wrecked many lives. Haven't, wouldn't you agree? Gambling has wrecked a whole lot of lives. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I'll fly in from time to time into Las Vegas and people will say, oh, I'm going to gamble two, three, four, five thousand $5,000. I said, thank you so much. That's why we don't have state taxes here. You're the reason <laughs> we don't have state taxes. And just remember, they didn't build the Cosmopolitan or the MGM off of all the winners that they were making. They were... People like you. And so thank you very much. So gambling for me, I think gambling is a vice. It's not a healthy habit. I think it can hurt many people. Okay, so when I'm 17 years old, when I'm 17 years old, I'm at the Rio with my friend Jesse from Phoenix. His parents wanted to go to the Carnival World Buffet. And so they're standing in line to go to the Carnival World Buffet. And as we're walking through, uh, he said, hey, let's go to the bathroom. So Jesse and I start walking over to the bathroom. He says, do you have any money? I said, well, have a, pocket full of change he said give it to me and so I, g- I handed him a nickel this I'm confessing my sin <laughs> I handed him a nickel and uh, he said what do you do I said here you just put it in here like this and I put it in a video poker machine and I lost my nickel <laughs> He said do you have any more he said I have another nickel he said put it in put it in and I won I got two kings on my video poker machine And I won back two nickels. (laughs) Vegas and me are even. (laughs) So people, in fact, just this past week, someone has said to me, what do you think about gambling? Well, I I don't endorse gambling. I've seen gambling hurt a whole lot of people. I've I've seen it mess people's lives up. I had a guy come into my office. He made $1,000 a week. He was in construction. His wife owned two restaurants. And he was sharing with me. His wife was so mad at him because it was a Friday afternoon. And he had just taken his $1,000 a week paycheck like he had for the last six weeks in a row. And he went and cashed it at a station casino. And when he cashed it, he gambled it all away within two or three hours. And she was ready to leave him because for the last six weeks, he was just... He had given the station the, the Fertitas have enough money, right? The, they're, they're doing okay. They don't need his thousand dollars a week. His family needed a thousand dollars a week. So whenever I see the gambling, now you say, well, is gambling a problem? I don't think it's a good idea. I think it messes people up. But for me, I don't, I don't have a problem with gambling. Now, do I have my own problems? Yes. What are they? None your business. But you know I have problems because the Bible says every man. So every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived... So before we start saying, oh, they do this, and they do this, and they do this... Start looking at your own problems and realize this. You've got problems, and when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth what? Sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. So the consequences of sin... So huge, you don't know what they're going to be But there are always consequences and you cannot contain them You cannot contain well, we're gonna sin here and we just expect for it It's not going to be that big of a deal All sin is bad and all sin is going to be problematic and you cannot contain that sin And so in verse number one David is going to the only person who can control sin And that's god almighty I can't control sin Sin wrecks me. Sin wrecks you. But there's somebody who defeated sin, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that God loves us so much that he came to this earth and he bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that he being dead to sins, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Why? By whose stripes we are healed. Jesus Christ gives victory over sin. And so David, understanding his inability to conquer and deal with the consequences and the containment of sin of his own, gives up control to the only person who can solve the problem of sin and that is god and so in a place where he is hiding and fleeing for his life and the consequences of his sin have rolled like waves upon him he goes to god and says oh god thou art my god the one who could speak the world into existence i need you to work in my life right now notice what he does He says in verse number one, thou art my God. He makes a tie between the creator God to the personal God, the comforting God. You're not just the God out there. You're not the generic God. You're not the man upstairs. You are my God. then he says, I'm going to start a new practice in my life. I'm going to direct my attention, my affairs, my discipline into the service of who you are. So I'm going to seek thee when? Early. Early will I seek thee. My friend Dr. Johnny Pope said this, you have an appointment every morning with God. Do you know that God desires to spend time with you every morning? Some of you never miss your morning appointment with your cup of coffee. Some of you, none of us want to meet before you've had that appointment with that cup of coffee because you're just a grumpy person. But God wants to meet you even before you had that cup of coffee. And as regular as your morning routine is, you get up, you look at your phone, you go to the restroom, you brush your teeth, you get breakfast, load kids up in the minivan. Whatever your routine is, there is intended to be in your daily routine a morning appointment with God. And David, as he's consumed with the problems of his own sin and saying, my own worst enemy is myself, God, first thing every day, I'm going to spend time with you. I've got a course change. I've got to correct the error that we've been in. And the only way it's going to happen is if I put this discipline in my life of every day meeting with you. And I'm not going to wait till the end of the day. And I'm not going to wait until after all the other appointments, God, early, I'm going to spend with you. Why? Because my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. Every person has a God-sized hole inside of their life. And the busyness of the day and the attractions of our social media and the, the enchantments of this world will scream out for our attention. But there's only one thing that satisfies, and that's a relationship with God. You were made to be a worshiper. And God desires for you to worship him first and foremost. So David, in his error, comes to God and says, God, I've been so messed up. I need you. I thirst for you. My flesh longeth for thee. Isn't it fascinating that the problem in his soul is causing physical ailment? Isn't that fascinating? The emptiness inside of him is causing physical conditions as well. Then he says this, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Here's a man who has everything you could want, any wealth, any woman, any opportunity. He has anything he can want, and he's empty because God needs to be his sustenance. I love this verse. Verse number two is my favorite verse of this. Because to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen in the sanctuary. When you look at David's life, David had amazing demonstrations of the power of God. There was a time when David, as a 17-year-old boy, took a rock out into the Valley of Elah, nine-and-a-half-foot-tall giant, flings that rock, cuts off the giant's head, waves it around, and then he is promoted as a national hero. What an amazing demonstration of God's power. When David becomes king, he stands at the, the doors of Jerusalem, where the Jebusites, who have been a stronghold there for generations... He goes in and he sets up his capital in Jerusalem. Oh, David has seen victory over and over again on battlefields. He's seen political intrigue dismissed. He's seen uh, um, uh, those rivals who would come against him, Saul, Ishbosheth, Abner, gone on the wayside. And the power of God has been demonstrated to Paul, excuse me, to David over and over and over again. But notice what he says in verse number two. To see thy power and thy glory. Oh, I want to see your power and glory. Let's go wreck some people. Let's slay some giants. I want to see your power and your glory. Notice where he sees the power and glory of God. It's not on a battlefield. It's not in a palace. It's not in the, some throne room being coronated. The power of God that David desires to see and where God's power is most reflected is where? in the sanctuary it's in that place where God has taken away all of the distractions and it's just you and God alone it's a fascinating thing that God desires to have a relationship with you Frankie crazy why would God want to have a relationship with you but he does he says come to me come and spend time with me in the closet and let's pray Isn't that the most bonkers thing? Think about what a crazy person you are if there is no God. To go into a dark room, shut the door, and talk. You're you're literally a crazy person if there is no God. But David says, that's where I see your power. When it's just you and I spending time alone. Do you have a time with God each day where his power is revealed to you When I was 17 years old, about the time I started my gambling habit, (laughs) I was working for a summer in Flagstaff, Arizona at this camp. And my job every morning, uh, it was my job at 7 o'clock every morning to go out and ring the wake-up bell. It's a big responsibility. They didn't give it just anybody. (laughs) So every morning at 7 o'clock, I had to walk. It was probably about quarter mile walk or so maybe if that far up to where my cabin or up to where the the auditorium was and I was to ring the bell at seven o'clock and then I had to ring the bell for devotions at 720 and so rather than walking all the way from Theodore Epp up to there the first couple days I went up rang the bell and I walked back to my cabin and I sat in my cabin for like six minutes and I walked back up and I'm like this is dumb I should do something for these 22 minutes or so between bell ringings and the lord's like well why don't you read your bible well, That was a good idea <laughs> and so at 17 years old i took my bible and i would go up there and i'd ring the bell ding dong ding dong ding dong and i had those 20 minutes or so between the time the next bell was rung and i sat there on that porch and i got to tell you those 20 minutes every day, for about 50 days straight, changed my life. It was a time when I practiced getting to know the Lord by myself. Just God and I, in the middle of the Flagstaff, right at the base of the Flagstaff Mountains, that's uh, Mount Eldon right there, it's right at the base of it, and I would just read the Bible, and I would pray for 17, 20 minutes. Do you know it was that summer when God changed my direction for college? It was that summer whenever God said uh, to me, maybe you shouldn't go into politics. It was my job. My goal was to go into politics. I wanted to be a senator. Wouldn't that have been a waste of a life? <laughs> I wanted to be a senator. I was going to go to law school. I was going to make money, and that was my goal. And it was that summer that I thought, maybe, maybe I'll be a pastor instead. And you know what it started? It started by just spending 15, 20 minutes every morning with the Lord. The Lord changed my life. The power of God was not seen on some cataclysmic scale of uh, battlefield. The power of God, I can just tell you by testimony in my life, was when I just started spending time with him on a day-by-day basis. Not huge, diving into the great truths of Leviticus. In fact, I don't even know where I was reading the Bible. I can't even tell you. It was just God and I, and God started talking to me. Because when you read his book, these are the very words of God. You need to have a time alone with God. And what's fascinating is that control where that sin is so present and so available starts to come into focus when it says, Oh God, thou art my God. Early in the morning will I seek thee. And this is beautiful in verse number four. Thus will I bless thee while I live. And I will lift up my hands in thy name. This morning, as we were singing, I, walked, I watched the crowd, as I often do, and many of you as were singing, you would raise your hand in praise to the Lord. And I think that's good. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're to raise our hands in praise to the Lord. It's a way of demonstrating oh, uh, glory, but it's not necessarily just a place of demonstrating glory. The, the raising of a hand is a sign of surrender, So if someone comes in here and I were to say, all right, I'm going to rob this place. First of all, I would never do it in this place because like 40 of you are carrying guns right now at this moment. (laughs) Yeah, we are, okay. (laughs) If you're here and you're not carrying a gun, you think, who is? The person beside you probably is. So, but if I were to say, stick them up, that's a sign of surrender. Now, this is what's Beautiful. That sign of surrender is the pathway to victory. Because with God, whenever I say, I can't control this anymore, Lord. I can't do this. I'm taking my hands off of this. I'm no, I've come to the end of my rope. I'm sick and tired of trying to manipulate, scheme, and work out this to my own advantage. I'm done. I'm done. God, God, you got to do this now. That sign is a sign of surrender. I'm raising the white flag. But this is also what's fascinating. Whenever I surrender, I find victory. Because the sign of raised hands is a sign of victory. This picture is of Hussein Bolt, the fastest man alive, was clocked going over 27 miles per hour, running with his own feet, he runs the 100-meter dash in under 9.3 seconds. Eight-time Olympic gold medalist. When you see this picture of him, is this a picture of angst, agony, and pain? This is a picture of what? Total and complete victory. This is the point. Surrender is the only path to victory. And so oftentimes, we want to wrestle that control back to ourselves. And like, no, get to me! No, no, Lord, I got this one. Dumb. I got this one, God. Well, I'm going to work this out. I know the word of God says to but. I know the Bible says but. I know I should but. What what we're doing is we're literally taking it away from God and saying, I got this one. And where God says, just let it go. Give it to me. Because surrender is the only path to victory. David, in his broken state, in the wilderness, fleeing for his life from an insurrection conspired with his greatest ally, and his son says, I'm done with this, Lord. Not done, I'm giving up. It's done, I'm going to follow you. Whatever you say, you're the boss of me now. Wherever you go, that's what I'm going to do. And so we see that there's not just a a, a trouble of sin, but we see the time of satisfaction. Notice what the Bible says in verse number five. My soul shall be satisfied with morrow and fatness. This guy who's hungry and thirsty and empty, Lord, I'm just, I've let go, I've surrendered, and you're going to take care of me. And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. I love this because we see another chapter. I'm so thankful that when I mess up, that's not the end of the story. I'm so glad that when 2 Samuel chapter 11 and David slept with Bathsheba and was found in his sin. The end. Wouldn't that be a horrible place? Wouldn't that be such a sad thing? But it's not where it ends. David receives forgiveness of his sin and he turns the book into another Chapter. I challenge you that there's another chapter in your life the defeat the pain the sorrow the regret that you've gone through That is not your final story I challenge you that there is another chapter that God desires to write out of your life And so david says let's go on to the next chapter. I didn't like that chapter very much Let's find another chapter we're going to actively change the situation. Can I show you three methods? Here's three methods that David adopted that brought lasting change from the previous chapter. Method number one, my soul shall be satisfied with morrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips method number one how do i change the chapters of my life well i get the forgiveness of god i surrender to god how do i actively move forward number one my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips my mouth says good things about god my mouth speaks about jesus My mouth doesn't have bitterness, clamoring, uh, avarice, anger, gossip. That's not what I use my mouth for. In fact, whenever I want to say something mean, bad, or gross, I shut my mouth. Because that's going nowhere. My mouth is only going to be used to praise thee with joyful lips. I've had a bad chapter. Okay, start using your mouth. Well, I I don't know if there's anything to say that's good. Oh, this is how I use my mouth. When I remember, I use my memory. Has God done something good for you in the past? If he has, say yes. Yes. Remember that. When you're going through a difficult time, remember what God did in the past. Do you remember when you got that bill and you didn't know how you were going to pay for it? Somehow it still went through. You Remember when you got that medical diagnosis? You're still alive. Do you remember when that trouble went with your kid? Do you remember when that relationship was going through that? Do you remember when we were going through last July? <laughs> we'll make it through this July as well. So, how do I remember? How do, what, do, what do I praise the Lord with? The things that I remember. My memory, so my mouth, and my memory. I'm going to speak about the good things that God has done. What good things? All the things that my memory can recall. Then number three, I meditate upon it. I, ha- I can't sleep at night. I'm dealing with so much anxiety. I have all this this tension inside of me. I just, what's going to happen? And what's going to happen with my kids? And what's going to happen with my finances? And what's going to happen with Ukraine? And are they ever going to find out who had cocaine in the White House? <laughs> like how? I got to know this. Okay. I don't meditate upon that because when you meditate upon that, you will literally go nuts. It will make you crazy trying to figure out the COVID-19 origin. It will make you crazy. Well, someone has got to do it. Okay, maybe that's not you. And if you can't sleep at night and if you can't function during the day, and if you're in a place of depression and anxiety and you're not able to function, how do I fix that? You use your mouth your memory and you meditate. What do I meditate upon? Look at all the good things God's done in my life. Look at all the good things. Look at the church God's allowed me to be part of. Look at the friends God's given me. Look at the place where God has allowed me to serve. Look at my job. Look at the house I have. Look at the car I have. Look at my so, look at the closet. Just walk into your closet. Do does anybody in here have more clothes than they need? But, don't point at people. That is wrong. That is, that is, meditate on your own business, brother. <laughs> Guy's pointing at his wife in all her shoes, and he's got like 37 guns. He's going to start World War III on his own. You never know. <laughs> the zombies could be coming. So God's blessed each of us with so much, He's blessed each of us with so much. So meditate upon that. Don't count sheep, count your blessings. And notice this ardent chase. This is so cool. Because I'm going to follow the Lord. Notice what he says here in verse number eight My soul followeth hard after thee. I'm not just going to passively respond to God. This is so good. I'm not going to be a checklist Christian check 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 I did all my checklist I must be pleasing to God oh I'm not going to be a consumer Christian well I'd go back to that church if it was doing this for me and it had this program and they did this and they did I'm a consumer Christian I'm not a consumer Christian I'm not a cultural Christian I am a follower of God because we've always been followers of God since my forefathers came off the Mayflower okay well that's wonderful but I'm not going to just be a cultural checklist or consumer Christian. I'm going to be a Christ-centered, Christ-follower to where I am going to passionately follow hard after Christ. And when it's hard to follow after Christ, his right hand will help me. Isn't that good? On Monday night, I was at Disneyland at 11.30 p.m. in the evening. I use all of those because that's how late it was. (laughs) And we just got off the carousel. We took our summer missionaries there as a kind of a midsummer break so that they would be able to enjoy a little bit of respite. The next day we went and showed them the Pacific Ocean. And so at 1130 at at night, we had been there since 8 o'clock that morning. It was a long day, but it was a great day. And so we're 15 and a half hours in the Disneyland. We get off the carousel and... um, the five-year-old battle, her name is Anna Lee. Okay, if you don't know Anna Lee, she's just the cutest little thing. And so Anna Lee, she looks at me and she says, Pastor Matt, can we can we ride Dumbo? And of course, because I'm cool <laughs> and young and youthful and full of energy and churros, I say, yes. <laughs> and when I said yes, the other adults were like, hmm. I said, Ask, ask your dad. She said, Dad, can we ride, can we ride, yes. And so Anna Lee starts running towards Dumbo, and she grabbed my hand, and she was pulling me along. To be honest, at 11.30, I wasn't as excited about riding Dumbo as Anna Lee was. But Anna Lee and Brooks, who's four years old, we know he's four years old because I was a little disappointed he was four years old because two weeks ago he was three years old and free at three years old, but now he's four years old. And so Brooks, who's four years old, we start running... And and they're literally pulling us to go ride on Dumbo. The adults they're pulling us to go because they get to ride Dumbo the next morning. Best thing of the whole trip. As we're coming back, uh, we're getting ready to go to the beach the next morning. Brooks comes down and he sees me and says, "Pass, Matt," because that's what he calls me, "Pass, Matt." Pass, Matt. Thank you for letting us ride Dumbo last night. (laughs) That's the best. That's the best. And though at 11 o'clock at night, you're not passionately, let's do this thing. That's the best. Why? Because their right hand was upholding. Do you get that? The four-year-old's upholding the 44-year-old. <laughs> and so there's a passion. The reason I go to Disneyland is not necessarily because I care about going to Disneyland. Do I enjoy it? The reason I go to Disneyland now as a 44-year-old is to see, look at these faces, and look, here's some more sugar, and go spend night with your mom. That's what that was all about. That was what it was all about. Do you get that? So catch it. Whenever I come to a place where I say, Lord, I need your help, I'm going to ardently follow you. I'm going to work this. I'm going to work. I'm going to spend morning with you. I'm going to have an appointment with you. And Lord, I'm going to get rid of this vice, and I'm going to to adopt this behavior. I'm going to make a, a passion to follow you, God. You'll mess up. So, Lord, I need your help. Would you help me with this? Your, your right hand will uphold me. When I'm going through that season where I don't even feel like doing it, your right hand, because I'm not doing this for anyone else, I'm here to serve you. Notice the triumph over sedition. This is fascinating. It's almost sad, except we see the outside forces that are now ex- uh, exploiting the inside failures of David. The Bible says, but thou that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword and shall be a portion for the foxes. There is going to be a demise to those who seek my hurt. They are going to be devoured. God always knows how to defend his own. And notice this but I will be delivered. Verse number 11. But the king, David speaking of himself, but the king shall rejoice. In God and everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. This is what's beautiful at the end of this psalm We understand the man who was broken the man who had wrecked his own self Can find deliverance because david was never the hero of any of those stories The hero of david and goliath the hero of david and jerusalem the hero of david and saul The hero in every single one of those stories was not david It was God Almighty. And when you come to the end of your life and whenever I explore what God's blessed me with, it's not about what Matt has done or what Matt is able to do. The hero of all of our lives is Jesus Christ. Because he's the one who took nails in his hands because if he didn't, I would be on my way to hell. And so would you. And so we give God the glory we surrender to him because he's able to control sin. Because he took nails in his hands. He was buried. But he defeated sin. He rose triumphantly. And a life lived in service and surrender him is the only way to find victory. Notice this. This is such a good verse. Romans chapter 5 says, For as one by what for as by one man's sin. For disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound but notice this such beautiful verse where sin abounded Grace did much more abound Isn't that beautiful? Well, you don't know what i've done. You don't know how bad it's gotten You don't know the mountain of debt. You don't know the people i've burnt. You don't know the bridges. I have i've dissolved You're right but where your sin and my sin abounds, notice what the scripture, this is the Bible talking, grace did much more abound. Well, Pastor Matt, I, you, that's great that ye did that for you, but you don't know where I am. You're right. But where sin abounds, there's a lot of sin here. Grace did much more abound. Why? That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto life eternal by who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the hero, not you. Let him fight the battle and win the victory, and you just live in surrender. Let God be the hero. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to remember it and apply it to our lives and use it for your glory, and I ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.